going to say the number, but I can't remember what number we're on. 33, maybe? 30, mm, 35. Wow. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Direct a Podcast. I'm Kurt Schneider. And I'm Keenan Wetzel. This is episode number 35. Today, we have two wonderful guests, Jason and Simon of Rubber Bands. It was a really fun interview. We talked a lot about ego and process and all that fun stuff. So let's get to the call. Enjoy. I worked with Patrick Bullen like last year. He was telling me some story about you guys like with an abandoned car. And you like, even the way he told it was super fascinating. So I'd love to hear from you guys. Yeah, 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 sure. So basically, we did this video uh, for Tolus, I guess it's now two years ago. And, uh, you know, I think we had like $7,000 or something like that for the whole video. And uh, the, the video involves basically, the video is basically about this guy who dies in a car wreck and like his ghost basically goes back to the woman that he loves. And it's kind of like this, this, like the last thing that he thinks about before he dies, basically. Um, and there's a car flip and a wreck and it was seven thousand dollars didn't really know how we're going to do that so i think simon looked on craigslist um and found or maybe we both did and found a bunch of cars that were like you know under a thousand dollars and there was a lot well actually no first we went and went to like a bunch of different fucking like uh like yeah. chop shop kind of like you know like where a car gets fucked up you know we kind of like looked at a couple cars that we thought would be interesting and then they could tow them and the whole thing would cost like under a thousand dollars. Eventually, we found this like red Chevy Blazer at this like a '97 red Chevy Blazer that was at like a used car, like you know, very used car salesman vibes. Um, and they we bought it for five hundred and fifty dollars, I think. Like it, they include the towing where we wanted it to be. And the dude, this dude shows up um, in the tow truck, and he's like, you can, he has very thick Russian accent, and I apologize, but he's like, you cannot uh, drive car without and I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, I've been shifting. He has like a pair of pliers sort of like where the ship gearboxes and he's shifting the car in the drive while like grabbing the pinion with pliers and like shifting it. And he's like, so you have to tell me where you want it because you're not going to be able to move it. So we put it at this intersection in Ironbound, which is a neighborhood in Newark. And, and we then had to, now that it was there, like our first problem, the second problem was to flip it. And we literally had the whole crew sort of try to push the car over this is a fucking heavy car. This is like a you know a, a Chevy SUV. Thank you. Um, <laughs> from uh, from the '90s, and uh, and so we couldn't do it. And it's we're losing daylight. We had to you know we had to do 20 shots on this day. It's all the all the car accident sequence in it. And we're like fuck, fuck, fuck. We have like three hours to shoot everything. And I take my car and I go to Home Depot and I get like the biggest, like the most intense ratchet strap I can find. And I hook it to like the 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 um, the trunk like closing mechanism in my car, and I wrap it around the thing, and we push, and we, I drive my car forward, and eventually we like get the whole thing flipped over, and we fucking like burn, burn, burn. We make our day. We shoot, we shoot like you know what was half the video in like three hours or something like that. And you know it's night and it's snowing. It's this is video we shot in like the middle of December. And the like adjacent, we also have no permits to flip this car or like do anything. Like it's totally fucking illegal. And across 
the street, like we're shooting at sort of this intersection and on the other, the catty corner of this intersection, there's like this also a group of seemingly Eastern European men and the dude comes up and he's like, you keep car? And I was like, yeah, we're gonna, maybe we shoot inserts with the car. He's like, I play with car. And I was like, what do you mean you play with car? And the dude drives out with this like enormous, like boom arm forklift machine and flips the car back over straight for us, like right where it was, which was great. Cause we also, you know, didn't want to leave a car flipped over there overnight, but also too, kind of like, why didn't we think to like talk to these people when we had to flip the car in the first place? It was a whole fucking ordeal. Cars flipped. Um, so the real issue is that it was a car accident scene, right? So we wanted to make the car look like it got wrecked, right? The initial idea didn't pan out of getting a wrecked car. So we did basically everything we could to destroy the car. So we shattered the windshield. We put blood all over the car, just like literally made it seem and like it looked, car. It looked really fucked up. Um, and we're talking about a $500 SUV. So that kind of paints a picture of what it already was when we got it. And, <laughs> and it's, we left it, so we left it upright. Uh, and we were going to come back the next day to get a pickup shot. So we left this car. And I remember I wrote a little note and put it on the windshield being like, hey, this is a car for a film shoot. If you have any questions, call me. And I put my cell phone number. I put that on the windshield of a just demolished car that's been getting like, flipped over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so we had, the, we had them and we'll we guys flip over it over again. And the, the so this is, the real, this is the, where it really gets And We didn't realize the train track that we parked under where we shot the whole scene wasn't just like a normal railway. It was like a government... Uh, it's a federal, is a federal yeah. uh, railway, and I and the car is in my name. I, I the title you have to buy a title when you buy a car, right? So I bought the car. So we were leaving this car on basically federal property, and now it's been there for four or five days, just sitting there covered in blood. <laughs> and then yeah, wake wake up the next morning and get a call, just like a random call from like not like a you know unlisted number. It wasn't like nine one one, you know, but they answered the call like a block number, and uh, this guy's like who the fuck is this? Like, do you know, like, are you the owner of a red Chevy Blazer? And I was like, super groggy. He's like, literally woke up to this phone call. I'm like, yeah, yeah, what's going on? And this is before we lived together. Yeah. And so I ended up calling Jason. I'm like, yo, we got to go back. So we go back to the scene and there's like four SUVs, dudes with machine guns and like flak jackets. Four flak jackets. Standing around this So this is like the Homeland Security, like police. (laughs) And the car is in my name. And the dude like walks up to me and is like, are you aware that you've like abandoned a vehicle, like a private vehicle on public land? And like, here's a summons. And uh, we just were like, okay, well, like, I guess Jason's going to jail now. We had like a job. We'd be like, I think we had maybe a job for Nike. We're trying to figure out how Simon was going to direct it. If I had to go to court or something like that. And turns out the dude just like really scared us. And it was like a $50 ticket actually ended up being but there was like a period of two weeks like i didn't sleep at all and like was very worried we were gonna go to i was gonna go to prison or something like that uh so that was that's the story about the tolu's video (laughs) yeah i think it's great i mean i think that naturally you know segments into where we wanted to talk about with just kind of going above and beyond making projects that you know have like you said like a limited budget and trying to give everything to them can you like talk about the importance of that like making projects that maybe someone else would you know not look at as could all the potential but it seems like you guys take any project and put like as much into it to, and see the potential in that yeah for sure man I, you know something simon and i talk about all the time you know now that we've sort of enjoyed like a modicum of commercial success and like are making more money and doing bigger jobs and you know we have to join we're about to have to join the dga um which Welcome. is cool. yeah thanks um which is cool but also um, you know, I think that there's like a part of 
uh, we've been talking a lot of recently to when we've been interviewed and also kind of just in general and like in, when we talk about film in general is like a very physical sport actually that I think a lot of people don't really get. I think a lot of people think that, you know, you think about an idea and then the idea is crafted in it, but there's like execution I think is such a, is maybe the biggest part about directing and execution of an idea is such a physical process. And I think that to keep those knives sharp or those muscles toned or what, however, whatever the analogy you want, it requires you as an artist and as a filmmaker to be very comfortable um, doing stuff like flipping a fucking car when you have no money and like also really realizing the bits of resource because there's some directors I think that'll make a music video that has a $7,000 budget and they have the research to put like a hundred grand of their own money into the project you know and we we put money into projects sometimes but you know we, we're not we don't have that you know so it's like we could maybe put in two thousand dollars and then just really figure out a way to make it work um and I think that's like a really big important thing that keeps like uh the, the the mental part of it really sharp you know well i also think too the question kind of presupposes that the scale of the project determines how much energy or value you percent. and i think that we do at times i mean as jason's saying we do a lot of projects that have you know it's pretty wild you look around you're like wow we have x amount of dollars to make this in a day that's pretty insane like people make movies for these but you know but that um, our approach and our intention, it, it's never that's never a thing that we really care about. You know, it's exciting because it can open creative possibilities, obviously having resources. But for us, the reason that we're always making something is because we believe in the idea, even if it is in a commercial context. Um, usually, I mean, every once in a while we do stuff just to kind of keep the lights on, but um, it's pretty rare. And I think that like for us, it's always about there is an idea. What's the, 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 the highest level of excellence through which we can realize that idea? And when you don't have resources, it just demands, it requires other parts of your creative thinking to problem solve and to be able to like, you know, realize that thing to the standard that we want to realize it. So for us, it's um, it's both, I think what Jason's saying about never getting comfortable making things when it's safe and when you have a lot of resources, it's always just being, it's always about being idea driven. And I think that for us is kind of like, we always just work backwards from what is the idea? What's the thing that we want to explain? It also helps you be really selective, I think, because if you're gonna put, if you're gonna leave, we just had a pitch call actually for this thing that we're about to do that you know we, we can't talk about, but we, you know, this, this thing that we're about to take a call after this is a, one of the things I said in the, in the, in the pitch meeting was like, you know, we leave, we leave blood, sweat and tears, like oh, we leave blood on the field. And if you're gonna do that, it also forces you to really think about the projects you're gonna do in the first place, because you know the amount of emotional toll and uh, like the mental fortitude you're gonna need to sort of invest that into it. It's also, as I'm sure you guys know, the reason why like music videos and smaller projects can be so crushing because you put your fucking, not only is it the idea that you wanna do that the artist has now like bop when that shit gets shelved, you're like, it's so personal, it's so, it feels like a fuck you, even though it's not, you know, it's never, it's always business, but it feels that way. So I think that's also another thing is kind of trying to take things less personally, but also be really open to, doing stuff for a million dollars and doing stuff for like negative a hundred dollars or whatever, you know? I, I guess I that also, know. okay. Oh, I was just gonna say, I, I'd love to know, do you guys have any examples of like instances where you've taken a creative uh, from or like a commercial brief, like, and taking it very far away from what it initially was, like 
you, have you had any instances like that where you like <laughs> most of our commercials? Yeah, I mean, I think maybe the, talk about an ex, one of those experiences. Yeah, for sure. I think the one thing that is, um, you know, I think that like it's easy looking back in hindsight to make it feel like it was a really deliberately mapped out strategic journey of like this is how we're going to approach things, and I think that often you know we are mindful of like you know, trying to progress in our career and that kind of thing. But usually it's just like we have, we make the things that we believe in those things sort of take on a, an identity or kind of have a certain quality that people see in it. And then they, that ends up generating opportunities where people kind of come to you for that thing. So I think that like, you know, nobody calls us to make, you know, the commercial where the donuts fall on the pink backdrop in slow motion. And they're like, can you make the donuts look moist? You know, like we're just yeah. not those guys. So the nice we'll do that job though, if no one wants to put our name on it. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, I think that in terms of uh, branded work, there are really, you know, clear cut, this is what we're making, this is what we're doing, make the tires look grippy, that's the job today. And I think we get offered and brought projects where people want our creative uh, input and want us to help kind of shape it because like, that's what they see in our work, because we don't do these very traditional or typical things not sort of like frame ourselves that way. But so yeah, so we've done that a lot. And I think for us, it's like, uh, I think our creative proposition is always like, hey, like we're, we can execute, that's not that hard, but we can also give you our creative thinking. And I think that's the biggest value add that we have. And I think more specifically, like the two that come to mind mostly is like Montclair, the spot that we did with Millie Bobby Brown and the Audi spot that we did. Um, I mean, we, we wrote the script like the day before actually for the Montclair spot. And that kind of became like this mini narrative spot that I think ended up being like kind of a cute, nice, you know, it was, it's a, it's a good, feels more like a complete thought, but like that kind of almost like in a different perspective, like didn't the creative sort of was nothing. And we just sort of like brought a different thing to it. And then I think the other thing with Audi was like, we were just really shocked about, you know, it was, that was our first car spot and we had heard a lot about how, you know, car clients are very specific and they're very pragmatic. And it was kind of blessed, like everybody at Audi was like, oh, you're going to, we're going to shoot this, we're going to shoot the, the car on 16 and on like a fish guy, like driving through Berlin. And we were like, I hope they like that because that's what we want to do. And then the follow cars chasing us through Berlin and we're like, like, do they do like, do they like it? I, we have no idea. And they're like, yeah, it's good, good, keep going. And we're like, oh, that's awesome. And so we were able to really push, I think what would ordinarily kind of been maybe like a typical whatever thing uh, into something that was a little bit different, I think, for that that sphere. And also, I think it's also important to remember at the end of the day, a lot of the branded work is like, you know, we're not we're not curing cancer, we're, we're selling we're selling a car, we're selling whatever the fuck. And so we got to kind of be aware of, of that um, as well, I think. You know, you guys, uh, you know, spoke to the, and I think I agree with this, like the further along you get in your career, you start getting sent more and more things that are like your style. Like it, it's a, it, it becomes easier and less hard. I mean, you still end up writing things, but you end up just getting closer to your style. And then they kind of mesh into what you get paid for also is what you like to do. But, but before that point, you're taking on typically like a lot of things that aren't in your style and you're, you know, sometimes taking on passion projects, music or whatever. Can you talk about like, getting to that point where you started to realize that like the cross section of being paid for things that I want to do versus like right out of college or whatever it was trying to make projects that are like like aspirational like the things you want to make does that make sense like like yeah yeah I, mean, I think that we've we've always made things like um in college we both worked pretty much full-time both like 
you know, I like truck PA'd as like a 18 year old in college, like driving trucks for big commercial productions to like pay, you know, just pay off the student loans I'm still paying off. And then like, also we did like a, you know, like we did like a Travis Scott music video back then that never came out. And, we, you know, we, I think we found our way into doing projects that were pretty creatively open and like exciting. And I think certain directors kind of- You also um, didn't say no ever pretty much at that point. Yeah, yeah. But I think it was like, I think the premise was like, we're making this because we feel like we can bring ideas uh, to life here that like speak to us versus like, I think certain people maybe go like, oh man, like I want to maybe one day make, you know, uh, easy example. Like I want to make like a sports commercial one day. So let me kind of like go film my friend running now and sort of make something that might show that I'm qualified to do that. And I think for us, it wasn't ever about that. Like that was never the, the methodology that we sort of thought of for us. It was like, what is a thing that like, we're just really creatively excited by and that was like pretty eclectic. Like we were doing rap videos, we were doing videos for indie bands, we were doing weird fashion projects, we were doing. I also think that like something that I think to Simon's credit, I think he like, or, or it, was, it was kind of a collective thought, but I think Simon was the impetus for this is that, you know, we do, we all do this because we love it so much. And that's what we wanted to do since we were kids. And like, we get, we have the best job, you know, all of us have the best job in the whole world. And like fucking that, thank God, you know? But also I think, um, being less precious like even if you fucking make you know whatever commercial or whatever anything you're always learning something about and you always fuck up something and you always learn from the fuck up and so i think you know in the beginning we kind of didn't say no to anything um and anything that would keep the lights on we would sort of do honestly and um and you know most of it like people will never see or will never show to people but like it it helped us not have to you know go get a real job for and uh, and it helped us like concept kind of continue to learn more about what the hell we were doing in the first place um even if the project itself like wasn't this aspirational thing that we wanted to do so i think it was i think to answer your question Keenan, it's like kind of a mixture of both it's like we did seek out stuff that we really wanted to do um and that maybe became like the creative priority but i think we also you gotta you gotta be like okay with doing the stuff that maybe you're not in love with to know that you can do the stuff that you that you love it's got to be a balance i think for anybody that wants to make a career out of this and to actually like have longevity in paying your bills and you know putting food in your mouth you got to kind of be accepting of the fact that there is compromise and that when there's not compromise there shouldn't be any compromise but when there is you have to be willing to play ball um with yourself as much as, as much as like other creatives and, and agency folks and, and everybody else involved in the process with yourself, you gotta be able to be like, you know, I'm not fucking Martin Scorsese. Like I'm going to do a, a toothpaste commercial and it's going to be okay. It's great. You know? Um, well, yeah, I mean, fortunately we've never done any toothpaste commercials, but um, <laughs> not there's anything wrong with that, but no, I, I think also that it's just like the idea of you in a collaborative medium I think it's sort of like not that important, you know? And I think that like a lot of people are thinking about like, oh, I am a director, I have a trajectory. And like a lot of those thoughts I think are in a way removed from what is actually happening, which is somebody is coming to you to work together to make something on their behalf. And I think when you're in that space, you can be really rigorous and have a lot of integrity about doing something really well. But then I think there's a, a kind of a flip side of that where people get too caught up on like, well, this is kind of where I want to be. And I think that like, if you're going to go into a medium that's collaborative, 
don't do that if the sole impetus is like you are trying to self-actualize your own creative ideas. That's a really good point. You know, and like, so I think for us when we were younger, like it was cool if we like went off and did a rap video or we went off and did like a weird like fashion project. You know, we've done projects and like we went to Shanghai and worked with an entirely Mandarin speaking crew. Like part of the fun for us is getting to go and immerse ourselves in new places with new people and feed off that energy. But it's never like we come in and we sort of have like a, you know, like pound our fist on the table and like, this is what we're doing. You know, it's about the thing that we're making is about that exchange of energy. And I think that when you're younger to what Jason's point, we worked with so many different people. We met so many different people. We like collaborated in so many different contexts that A, invariably you learn a ton about yourself by doing that. So that's why I would super recommend it. But then also B, I think you like, you know, we never make things in spite of the people who are asking yeah, us to make them, you know? And I think certain people are like, oh, like I know what you want, but like, this is how I see it. And like, if that's the, if that's where it's starting, then you're just, you're just, you know, on a course for it to be diminishing return for either party, without, without a doubt. you know? And without I think for us, it's all about like, we want to do, like we enjoy, we have a lot of, we make a lot of friends through what we do. Like we enjoy, um, we don't enjoy like, you know, chaining up somebody and dragging them into our creative Vision Which to be fair it. works for some directors yeah, who we really totally. love. Yeah, totally. But it's not it's not our process. Yeah, it's not our style. It it seems like um, the the collaborative nature that you guys have formed, I'm sure, together, has informed you guys as you've worked up. Because you know you you start and you're maybe changing the lenses, you're doing AC, you're learning everything. How has that informed you now that you maybe have a more you know I guess what are the challenges and what are the benefits to having more people around and. And, and maintaining that level of your vision, of course, but then also being like you spoke to the beautiful nature of collaboration. Yeah, of course. I mean, so, you know, Simon uh, is an incredibly gifted editor and, you know, ed edits, you know, half of our stuff. We collaborate with another, we, I mean, we have a bunch of editors, but our other main editor who we love and is a very close friend of ours, this guy Nate Katz at White House. Um, and he's like one of our closest friends and he's amazing. Um, we live with our producer, Luigi, who is also one of our best friends, and he's amazing. Um, and, you know, uh, one of our closest friends is Eric McNeil, who's a stylist and a creative that, that we've worked with a lot. And I, all these people end up being, you know, my younger brother is our other producer. Like, uh, we're, we're, we're every, everyone that we work with in our, in our, in our, as, is our friends, and, uh, and it's very important, I think, in that way. And also, I think, forces us to be uh it forces us to be quite honest and other people to be honest with us about what's going on i think in any particular project and then i also think that um you know weirdly and this is something that simon says a lot and i think it's really true is that the collaboration between us i mean simon is my best is my best friend like a lot of people i think wonder that about us like are you guys just business partners like how does that work we live together now. He's been my best friend for 10 years. We've worked together for 10 years. We met on set the first night and we've worked together ever since. And he's like my brother, like that's it. Um, and so, <laughs> and so like, and so like that is like a fountain. The, the emotional thing is actually a weirdly very strong foundation, even though like a lot of people have warned us against it, but it's worked for us for now almost a decade. Um, and I also think that that idea of collaboration between two people always puts the idea above either one of us. It kills a lot of ego. Like, you know, I don't know if we could tell you which person had the nexus of which idea for what project. And there was probably one of us that did have the nexus of the idea, but 
after it comes out, it's been so beaten up by both of us in a good way that, you know, it's, it's sort of unrecognizable as who kind of came up with what and when. Um, but I think to answer your question, I think the idea of under, like, in the beginning, Jason still to this day, like he just did a, a, a spot with this like agency drove a five um, and Jason ended up shooting the unit. Like it was a thing where we were on set and we mapped out our, our day and we were looking at like overtime that in the kind of like big budget commercial world is like incredibly financially uh, untenable. It's like massive amounts of money. So we're like, we can't, we literally can't do this. And we couldn't think of another way to make the spot. So like for a second, it was like, what the fuck do we do? And so Jason was like, oh, I'll just all these shots we realized we could do. We were in this big sound stage. We had enough space to set up two different units. He's like, I'll just shoot it. And Jason just like shot, beautiful, like did like an extraordinary job. And just like having that ability in that moment to just pivot and having that skill set, there will never be a moment where you won't be able to turn to craft and not benefit from having that, whether it's in a foundational sense or in a very like active practical sense, you know, like after we give off this zoom and after we have like a, a call of an ad agency i'm just going to get back to editing this project you know like you're not hands off in any stretch so i think that what you know I, I don't think that there's any one right way to go about it but i think that there is a lot of value to enhancing your sort of like theoretical and imaginatory capability to come up with ideas but 90 percent of it is is realizing them and that that granular understanding of process of how things are created, what can be done, only just enhances and expands your uh, ability to like, yeah, be creative and come up with ideas. I also think it helps your ability to communicate, right? Like how, how better can you communicate with people on your team if you kind of understand a bit about everything? Um, you know, you know you're, you don't want to really be like jack of all trades, master of none. You want to have like, you want to master your craft. But also I think it's important, as Simon said, to have like, both a theoretical and a practical understanding of how all this stuff works. Like, I do think that, like, um, I do think that, again, like, physical is a, film is a physical sport. And I think that, like, having the practical understanding helps you refine the theoretical part of it, if you will. No, that's, that's, that's great. I'm, I'm curious, you, you guys kind of touched on it, but just, like, I'm always so fascinated to hear other directors' own personal experiences with, with ego in this industry, and like mm -hmm. how what maybe share a little bit about your own personal journey with that. And I'm sure there's times where you know it can get away from you, and then you have a better perspective on things. I mean, that's that's been my experience. I think that ego is, um, of course, an individual thing, but I think like what Jason and I have learned as a duo is that the um there is no ability for ego to flourish in a negatively flourish in a group context if you're being transparent and open with each other yeah that's like a super yeah. ego that's more about like rubber band as an entity than it is about either one of us individually so it sort of like gives this like buffer level to an individual ego which i think is actually really important it's sort of like obviously we're human beings and we have egos but I think that if we think of it more as like you're more on the team and what benefits the team benefits everybody in the team, um, that's like a much healthier way to look at it. And honestly, like we weren't, I don't think we were like, oh yeah, let's let's be a duo because that'll be healthier for our like our mental, like we'll be less dicks if we're just in a duo. But it kind of I hopefully think worked out that way, where like if the idea wins because the idea benefits both of us, we don't have to have enormous egos about 
each one of us, we have the ego about protecting the idea and less about like, oh, I get to say blah, 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 whatever. It's always a fight about who has the better idea and less about who needs to have the better idea or who, um, uh, where the ownership of the idea is. It's like not about that at all, um, and which yeah, is really useful. I did a really poor job of trying to articulate the sort of like uh, idea underneath that story, but I think it's like when you're looking inward and you're thinking about yourself, you know, you're typically like, you're not thinking about the bigger picture, you know, it's like, and I think that when um, you're forced to like engage with another person, i.e. Jason and I at every phase of making things, you can't get caught up, you can't get like pulled into that like internal monologue that's just like super fruitless, you know, because you're, you're engaging with another person. And so you're, you're, I'm like, I'm always thinking, okay, like, this is what I'm feeling, this is what I'm drawing to, these ideas that I'm having. Let me present them to Jason. Let me hear what his ideas are. Let me see his person. You know, like you're very focused on having a vision and synthesizing it with another person's vision. And I think when you are on that frequency, it's really hard to get, it's really hard to just tap into ego, period. If you I actually consider, consider it and concern it. I also think that's a like the last thing that I think I'll say about this is like uh, trust is like, you know, is everything and everything all the time. Like, like, saying honest things in whatever it is that you do and trusting the people around you and trusting your audience is like all of course important thing but trusting your collaborator is incredibly important and simon and i have to go off and shoot different units or whatever which you know now we're doing more and more frequently um you know we both have a vision that we have to agree on and we have to really trust the other person that they're gonna they're gonna get their stuff and i'm gonna get my stuff and um and that when we come together that's that's gonna be the the thing um, and I think that trusting each other also lets us really trust our collaborators. And I feel like it also lets us be a lot less prescriptive um, with our editors and our colorists and our sound designer. And like, we can get as prescriptive as they want, but I think our first initial idea with anyone who we're collaborating with, which I also think is this, again, this idea of ego of thinking that you know what's best all the time. Um, like, you know, a director's job is to like, you know, steer the ship and like that, that we do. But I also think that to not respect that, you know, maybe you know about sound design, but your sound designer, you know, that he's the captain of that ship, and you know, uh, your DP is the captain of that ship, and your makeup artist is the captain of that ship, and you can give them ideas, but also, I think that we often encourage like there's no there's no bad ideas. I mean, maybe there's bad ideas, but we're open to listening to all of them, and I think that that is the environment where the best things happen. I forget who said this, but I think it was, I think it was Francis Ford Coppola, but I could, it could be very wrong. But basically they did it like directing is where like, you know, the, the happy accidents occur. I'm definitely paraphrasing this, but, you know, creating an environment where the accidents that occur actually end up being uh, sort of like directed accidents, if you will. Like you're, you're putting out energy and you're creating an environment where the accidents that happen um, end up being like a part of the finished product. And I think that's all about eliminating ego because accidents are like, you know, the universe's will. It has nothing to do with you. You're just acting as a channel for the energy of whatever's around. You're saying energy all the time and I hate that, but you get what I'm saying. Like you're, you're, you're creating an environment where accidents can happen and you have nothing really to do with that. I think at the end of the day, you're just, you're just setting the stage and letting sort of things happen. And I think that in and of itself, which is totally part of our process, I think also manages like ego on like a larger, more macro level. You know what I mean? Yeah, and this, this is a little bit less philosophical question, but I think it's related to ego. I want to ask you guys, I meant you guys shoot some fashion stuff and I would imagine those Talk sets have- ego, man. Yeah, so 
photographers, everybody on site, collaborators. I'm just curious, like, how do you guys steer the ship when there are kind of people on the ship that are not necessarily always on the same mission, like a like a photographer on set or, you know, you have to deal with all these things and sometimes the ship can turn like you yeah. like a pirate ship. How do you stay focused? I think honestly, for the most part, all the fat, you know, we never really did any of that like BTS fashion stuff, not to knock it, we just never really did it. So actually a lot of the fashion campaigns that we did were just, they were us. And also I think in the last three years, we've done a lot more still photography in our, in our thing, uh, in our, whatever we were doing. So it was kind of easier for me to take over the still photography. Obviously Simon and I have sort of one brain. Um, and so that I think, uh, I, w I wish I had more to say about it, but for the most part, you know, like, you know, we, we did the Calvin thing with Willie Vanderpier, but as Simon said, it was, it wasn't like we were sharing a set. He had a totally separate set. We had a totally separate set. We had totally separate crews. But I think to answer your question, there's a, um, like, this is a really, uh, this is a really stupid analogy, but like if somebody tries to tag you in a game of tag and you chase after them, you can't like, that you don't have a game of tag. You right. Know? Like, sure. I think there's a lot of, um, the intention and energy, like, yeah, to use the word energy again, but yeah, I think, I think the, the intentionality that you bring to the set, and I think accurately used the energy that you bring to a set, I think dictates, especially I think as a director where a lot of people are looking to you to make a lot of decisions to set it, to sort of to set the temperature for like what the thing is going to be. Um, I think a lot of it is, you know, I think like there is a lot of quote unquote kind of ego management, but dealing with people. But I think also like if you respect the, like, I don't think anybody who feels heard and respected will treat you with that sort of like bombastic, like angry. Unless they're just a dick. Unless, yeah, unless you're just really <laughs> working with somebody hard. Yeah, at that point, it's like, well, maybe that person is good <laughs> for you. But um, yeah, man, I think we try to be really like, you know, I think that there are a lot of different ways to do what we do. I think it's really impossible to opine on anything other than what we've done and what we found to be worthwhile and, and and functional but like also just the nature of like man we're going to die one day we work a lot this is like the vast majority of our time is spent doing this stuff like let's enjoy it you know and like i think some people view that as lightening the intensity with which you're trying to make something great and that's not our thing it's not like we're just here you know summer camp to have laughs but like we want to i think for us we, a lot of people say that you can't have a great time have like good lighthearted energy and then also be like super rigorous and make something really great. You know, it's kind of that, that thing where everyone's like, yeah, like you have to be a dick to be successful. You gotta have five wives and, and like a bunch of alimony. Yeah, and I think for us, like the, the ideal version of success, like when, when, when you're a young kid, the big dream of success that might have a lot of like materialism involved in it. Like I wanna be massively epically successful and maybe I wanna have this like, huge house or I wanna have, you know, like I think our, at least speaking for myself, my current version of what that like crazy ambitious success is, is being able to be creatively successful and be a good person. Like have a, have a family and like make amazing films, like be a quality person. Like that to me is the, is the wild top bar of success that I'm striving for. God, we really sound like hippie dippy weirdos, but you really got to consider like the health of your soul, I think. And a lot of these things, you know, we don't, we won't do a music video or any project that objectifies women in any way. We, you know, we won't work for gas companies. Like, and I'm sure a lot of the directors that are, that are out there, I know a lot of people who are friends of ours who won't do the same thing. And I think this also sort of ties into the idea that like, kind of what I said before, is that like, we love advertising, it pays our bills. We actually really enjoy doing commercials. We like doing short projects, but at the end of the day, 
we're selling stuff to people that ultimately a lot of people don't need. And um, I think that it's okay to do that, but you got to be mindful of your soul and you got to realize we, we had, we had dinner with, with, with Miles J the other week, which was really nice. He's a great guy. I know that he was on this show and something that he said to us was, he was like, you know, you got it. You, he didn't really say it like this, but he's like, you got to be cognizant of, you know, of, of losing the thing that you started doing this for, right? Like you get caught up in the commercials and the money's good and you're doing all these things and people are talking about you and that's great and blah, 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 blah. And then you kind of wake up one day and you're 40 and you never wrote a feature and like all the thing that you wanted to do is sort of was put on the back burner for so long. And now you're kind of scraping to get back to it. And I feel like that's the same, um, moralistically with who we are as people. And I think that, you know, art is the most important thing in my life and my work is the most important thing in my life, but you gotta be cognizant of like, you wanna treat your crews well, you wanna treat your friends well, you wanna treat everybody that helps you well. This industry is built on favors. And the only way those favors remain in, remain in place if you give favors back and like, never be precious with your resources because like everybody's got resources and like the the one thing that you know you gotta like let go of this oh you want to know what lens i shot this on i think that's a silly question but i'll tell you what it is you want to know what camera this was shot on i think it's a silly question but i'll tell you what it is like you want to know how we did this i'll tell you how we did it like it's not there it's it, it, the, the the keeping of the secrets of the thing is like doesn't make any sense to me anymore and it really did for a long time and it doesn't make any sense to me anymore. I always find it so like hilarious when you go on something like Instagram and you can just see like the like levels to where people are at, where you'll see like a bunch of people liking and commenting on like this director of this tier and then they don't like respond to anything, but then you'll see that director like commenting and liking on somebody above them. And it's just, I don't know. It's just so funny to me. It's like, they might know them. <laughs> yeah. But it, I'm just In saying fairness. like it doesn't, it doesn't need to be that way. It's just, it's yeah. just but no, I think, um, I think also Kurt, like we, I think for a long time, we like, well, not for a long time. I and mean, this is like probably five years ago, but we were like, Oh yeah, no, we're like, oh, we're, we're complete. All the directors we're competing against. Like we can't be friends with them. Oh, yeah, now. Yeah. Like so many of our closest friends are our fellow directors and we love so many of them. Um, well, and also it's just like better. It's a better world that way. I think. Yeah. yeah. That's There's, why we started this podcast. Like, exactly. Exactly. A hundred percent. I think we, we went to we went to film school um, and we also studied we minored like really randomly we both minored in English which was wasn't kind of the case but in the film school aspect of it made us super employable in other jobs yeah yeah, yeah. and the, the, in film school, the right treatments <laughs> exactly you know, for sure but also in film school there's like this kind of like Hunger Games mentality where everyone's sort of like you know you know like people are taking the test and the kid kind of puts the book up on his desk so we can copy. like there's just that energy about like. And it's like, well, if you're, and I think that when you're, that makes a lot of sense when you're young and you don't necessarily, I mean, still we, you know, are, have soaked, like even doing this podcast feels a little weird. because. Oh like, yeah. I want to caveat everything by saying like, I was an idiot and probably did really dumb shit and stupid, hurtful shit to people when I was growing up. And I probably still do it now, but I'm trying to be more cognizant of it. And I think it goes for both of us. Yeah. No, I mean, like the, blanket the statement. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That blanket was, statement on everything. That we'll, was just, we'll just open the show with like an asterisk. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No, yeah. No. I mean. Well. I think that. Like. I mean. That's a. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> which. Like. I'm, I'm. I'm with him on. But. I think what I was trying to say was like, the idea of doing a podcast as if we have wisdom to share. I think sort of presupposes that we're like, maybe view ourselves as being like wise. You know. I think it's just like we've made a lot of stuff. You know. We have. 
we have had a lot of experiences. We're down to talk about those experiences, but we still view what we do very much through the lens of being students. So to this day, and hopefully till the day that we die, we don't lose sight of that, you know, because yeah. there's so far to go and there's so much to learn and there's so much, you know, innovation to occur and all that kind of thing. But um, I think when you're like really starting off and you're literally like just being given a camera and learning how to like do something, um, it makes a lot of sense that you wouldn't have a really strong idea of what the thing is that you want to communicate as an individual you know it's more of like i want to emulate these things that i really love and i think within that you can be very precious about ideas or you can feel a feeling of competition because maybe a lot of people are you go to a film school and a lot of people are trying to like remake the godfather a lot of people are trying to remake you know 500 days of summer a lot of people and I time and time to watch that baptism you know whatever the cliches are of of kids who are like you know whatever people of kubrick you know i mean these are all great fuck, i mean 500 days whatever you know what i'm saying um and <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to shoot shots at that movie, but uh, Kubrick, we can all agree, is a fucking legend. But anyway, I think that like if you realize that the thing that you're trying to put into the world is your own, you can't be in competition. Fundamentally, can't be in competition with anybody. And that feeling of like that Hunger Games competitive, like we're all gunning after the same end, becomes like laughable. And I think that like I don't know that we've figured out like a deeply personal. This is who we are. This is what we're trying to say exclusively. I can distill it down into two sentences I tell you right now, but like I think we've gotten a better grasp, at least on an emotional level or like on an intuitive level of the kind of things we were drawn to and the stuff we want to do. I think from that place you're just like, well fuck it. I don't like there 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 cannot be competition if that's the wavelength that I'm on. And from that place it's great because then you look at everybody and everybody can be your friend and there isn't any feeling of like, you know, I think it's really I think like if you feel and I've certainly felt this and I think gone kind of over it and for the most part but you know if you feel kind of like uh challenged by other people's success i think that that's really that's just saying something about you you know that actually has nothing to do with the other person you know and like it mm. is a good indicator that you should probably audit your own um perspective on like why you're doing what you're doing you know and i think that we kind of now have a lot of fun with it we don't really feel that we're really stoked like we love reposting our friendship when our friends make cool stuff like whenever you know shout out like Jordan Hemingway, the Pantera guys, like we have a lot of friends who are making some like, I think the best work out. And like it genuinely, like I saw Jordan just did a Travis Scott video. He did like the MIA thing. And in it, there's like a, a clapper and his name's on it. And I literally jumped out of my desk for joy. I was like, fuck yeah, you know, like, and that's the, I think that's cool. You know, I think that people, some people feel that about us. So anyway, not to get all preachy, man, which is way too late to caveat that. But, um, you know, I think it's like- We're asking. Yeah, I think that like the film, like that, like, uh, yeah, I think that feeling of competition is kind of like uh, fundamentally wrong on it from my perspective, you know? Yeah, it's weird to yeah. feel like that and also like know that every time you pitch in a commercial, you're pitching against two other people. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and you always have that competition. It seems like, like set it up like it's a competition, but in reality, they're going to pick the best idea and they're not, I mean, certainly they're pinning numbers and things like that against one another, but it's not like any direct competition. Like I always say, it's like, if you were doing a free throw contest with everybody shot separately, it's not like we're guarding each other. It's not like we're fighting against each other in any way. We're all just doing our personal best in that way. So, right. you know, I, I will say also to your point, you know, it's beautiful. You guys are humble and everything, but I also think we want to talk to people at different stages of whatever success is considered. So, you know, wherever that is. So it's, it's been great to, you know, speak, I'm not wrapping things up because I do want to ask you guys also about New York city in general, like, I feel like your where you guys live does inform who you are, and maybe I'm, I'm, Absolutely. you know, maybe I'm perceiving incorrectly, but I think we sometimes think of location as like just where we can get work or whatever, and you soon realize it's not necessarily about that. It's more about 
how your area informs who you are as a, as a creative. Do you guys feel a sense of that? Because I feel that way in yeah, Detroit. I, I'm, I'm from New York and I'm yeah. from New York my whole life. Yeah, so like I think that it totally does, you know, um, as problematic as Woody Allen is as a person, you know, his films are some of the reason why I got into directing in the first place. I saw Andy Hall when I was 13 and I remember just like sitting on the couch like 30 minutes to the fucking DVD had turned off and being like, what the fuck just happened? Which I know is like maybe a cliche in and of itself, but like, you know, New York is, um, is such an interesting, amazing, scary, uh, overwhelming, beautiful uh, enigma of a place to live. Um, and it's also like a beautiful place to work, I think, in a lot of ways, because you're challenged by all these things um, and you're challenged sort of by the city itself. You know, I think we've shot, um, you know, most of our personal projects either on Long Island where I, you know, went to high school and grew up or uh, in New Jersey where, you know, Simon's from. And so we've kind of kept all of like our, we still make movies where we still make things where we're from. And I think inevitably all the ideas that we have are sort of informed by where we're from. Simon's from Jersey, but you know, he's a New Yorker. And um, I think that you can't, it's like, uh, you know, it's like um, Faulkner had to go back to the South and, you know, uh, James Joyce had to go back to Dublin and like all these people that recognize where they came from and kind of incorporate, you know, PTA in the San Fernando Valley, um, you know, I think all these, all to be, these people. To be clear, that's one pause. Jason just compared us to Faulkner. I didn't compare us. I said that the idea James of Joyce. the idea yeah. of knowing where you're from, I think, is inherently Homer wrote about Troy. Exactly, coming Peter coming Peter back. Shakespeare, Plato. Well, Walter Steve, Homer, Steve, Springfield, <laughs> Steve Jobs. No, um, dude, I think also like yeah, so your place is important. Yeah, for sure. So Jason lived in New York City and a bit in Long Island throughout his whole life, and I lived in uh, New Jersey as a kid, but like would, was really close to Springsteen. But uh, yeah, dude, he's like our patron saint. But um, I would good. come into uh, I would come into the city like all the time. My mom, uh, she was an art historian, and so she would. Uh, go and we would go basically to museums like either the, literally the met or the moma from like probably like five to 13 every sunday um just as like a ritual and also she would like put together like museum assignments where a class would like take the train in and go like see a specific painting in person to write about it if like that unit was on proto-renaissance they'd go look at rock you know they'd go look at Giotto or that kind of thing you know so i would always kind of tag along and so um i think like all the best moments a lot of the best moments of my childhood and a lot of the best moments um the things that really like uh, invigorated my imagination came from like cross, like literally crossing, driving into the city, yeah, sure. you know? And like, so I think my whole life, the, the idea was always like, man, I just want to immerse myself and, and live purely in that. I don't want this to be like the cool place that I get to escape to once a week, you know? And also when I was really little, I lived in Florence. And I think like going from living in a, a city as like an infant uh, to then going and moving to like a more small suburb I think just that idea too of like always have it like being exposed at a super young age to that kind of energy. I was always like drawn to it, you know? I don't know that it's for everybody, but I think um, the, so on like a maybe on, on more heady level, I think that there was always a desire to be in New York. And I also think that like on a more practical level, the proximity that you get in New York just by like being in the city, like, you know, we spent a lot of time in LA and, you know, you never bought like, I remember we were driving we were like at the record plant, the studio, and we were driving, we had a stop sign and our friend walked across the street and it felt like 
the most insane, like what are the odds, like the yeah. probability just seeing someone walking in LA that we know. It felt like like lottery level odds, you know? But in New York, that, happen, that can happen in two minutes. You know, and you're catching up with people, like we, we're doing an animated film and the creative director of the animated film, we were shooting another project. And he's walked by smoking a cigarette. And he's like, oh fuck, we're actually doing, you know, it's like that, like, it, I don't know if Chris was smoking a cigarette, not to blow a spot, but he was yeah, awesome. I, or something like I that. also didn't say his name. I but, his name. Um, there you go. Now, now we're fucked. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, we can pull it up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know what I mean? Just that idea of like so many of the things that uh, in the beginning um, allowed us to make things and a lot of like the good luck that we have is just by being in places where you meet people and like being around um, a lot of different energy and like, you know, being compressed. So, you know, you can really, yeah. So New York's dope. <laughs> How, how, how are you guys on time? You, you still got a few more minutes? Yeah, yeah, man. Cool. Yeah, we just want, I want to talk craft a little bit. Let's talk about the Louis Del Mar spot. Maybe the, I know you've done a few. Let's talk about the TV one. Um, just, it's crazy. The like animation, all the, all the way that things that are integrated. Talk about that process, what you guys did. Yeah, so. I mean, literally, you know, the, 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 the doula of that video is James Seward, who's an animator, who's a really good friend and close collaborator of us. And he co-directed the video with us. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, we kind of have incorporated a lot of this more like tactile stuff into our work, I think, um, especially over quarantine where you kind of just had to like make what you could with what you had. Um, and the TV video for them is also a lot like that. You know, we, it's, it's, it's all very, everything's kind of done for real. Um, and in very, you know, confined settings. Um, that video, the TV is made up of, I believe, four miles of paper. Um, every frame was, you know, collaged and hand-drawn. And then uh, we shot the performance of Danny and Max separately in separate places because everybody had to be completely apart from each other. Um, uh, Max actually had COVID in the beginning of, of the lockdown. And so we made him, made him very quite nervous. Um, and so, uh, and then Kai, who is like a very good friend and works with us a lot, um, did all of the green screen work to put the performances in it, but also to keep it quite tactile. And I think it took about uh, six weeks and a team of like six people. Um, there's some really funny BTS photos uh, on the Rubber Band Instagram that kind of show all the rolls of paper. Um, but yeah, we, you know, the, the, the whole album, it's our first time uh, creative directing a whole album, you know, we did, I painted all the album artwork and we did all the design and, and all that stuff for it. And, you know, the whole thing with Danny, we took Danny, we took Danny, who's the lead singer of, of uh, Louis Delmar, who's a close friend of ours. We took him to a Rauschenberg exhibit at MoMA about three years ago. And I think it really fucked him up in a good way. And his, the whole aesthetic of the band kind of became about this collage thing. And we kind of thought a lot about what that could look like and how that could feel in an animated setting because we had never really, you know, people do mixed media, but we never really saw that kind of carried out in continuity before. Um, and that was kind of the impetus. And then, you know, we, we kind of figured out some style frames and we gave James a lot of notes, but he, he executed it and he did an incredible job. Um, yeah. And this animated film that we're, we're doing right now is he's the lead animator on as well. So he's, he's, uh, we've kept, we've kept, we've all kept each other busy, uh, being alone in our rooms. Do, do you see this path of more animated tactile work as something you want to continue to explore then regardless of, you know, restrictions, or is this something that was just merely made out of just you know, necessity? 
we yeah. just want to do different things. I think it, for us, it's more the challenge of it is more interesting, you know, I than, think- than any specific kind of work. You know, we would we would love to do more CG shit. We'd love to do more animated shit. We'd love to, you know, whatever. Yeah. I think that also it would be like really misrepresenting us and the nature of uh, how we think about this stuff to say that we like think about kind of what we want to do on a um, on a craft level. You know, like I don't think we ever sit around and go like, oh man, we really like let's get let, let's do one and then we get where we got some, you know, like let's let's really CGI some robots back there. Like that's what we got to do next. You know, I think it's like mm-hmm. it's more about like who are the artists we're drawn to. What are the ideas that we're drawn to for like narrative stuff? What are like the artistic propositions that sound interesting. What are the brands that would be cool to work with? I mean, a lot of that stuff falls out of the sky anyway, you know, I'm gonna have a lot of control over it. I also think, sorry. No, I was just gonna, yeah, I just think like, you know, I don't wanna like, I think like, uh, yeah, I don't know that we're necessarily interested in doing things, like we're interested in what the idea is. And I think that that will always determine um, the right lens through which to realize. My younger, my younger brother, who I love very much, he's my other best friend um, and he produces a lot for us. Shout out to Josh Sondok. Um, he's a great producer in New York um, and he's a great director, honestly, as well. He has this insanely interesting idea that I will not say in publicly, but it's really cool. I think he's going to make it very soon. Um, but he went to Brown and I remember visiting him his freshman year and he had this, uh, this film professor. He, he studied writing but he had this film professor and he kind of brought up this idea that josh and i still talked about this day and i talk about simon quite frequently which is that um medium right and media is shouldn't be like a presupposed thing like it's it's a choice just because you're a filmmaker doesn't necessarily need, need to meet, make you doesn't necessarily mean you need to use a camera every time you know um and also what the camera is and what you're seeing that doesn't necessarily mean uh, anything you're, you're just, you're, you're kind of putting like, we all know what result directing is, right? Where you tell an actress to be sad and then she's sad and you're like, that doesn't help anybody because everyone's sad in different ways. It's the same thing. You're resulting the project by, before you even understand what the project is, presupposing all these things about how it should be and what it should look like without really kind of figuring out the thing in the first place. And, you know, I think that actually honestly goes even further, which is that like, just cause we're all filmmakers, I mean that every idea that we have is a film. Maybe the idea that you have is a photo. Maybe the idea that you have is some piece of writing and things aren't gonna translate necessarily between all these things. It's why, you know, uh, what's, the, what's the Quentin Tarantino movie that's really a play that should never have been a movie? The Hateful, the Hateful, Eight. The Hateful Eight. Like that, that's a movie that like, I don't really understand why that's a movie. It probably would have been a play and it would have been great. And there's plenty of other movies that are like that, that you don't really understand. Like Fence is an incredible performance and an amazing movie, but I don't really understand how it benefited by being a film versus it being a play. Like, it seems like these mediums, sometimes they jump really well, sometimes they don't, but I think it's really worth considering um, whenever you do a thing and whenever we do a thing. Questioning. Yeah, what, what, what's the, what is the purpose of everything that we're doing? You know, we all talk about aspect ratios, we talk about color and it's the same thing, but it goes even before all that stuff, I think too. Um, yeah. yeah. So do you guys, I know you don't like to forecast too much, it seems like, but like what, like if you had to pick kind of like where you see yourself down the road, is it, is it features? Is it remaining in the kind of commercial music video realm? What do you think? I think it's both. Yeah, it's both. I don't know if they're mutually exclusive. <laughs> they aren't necessarily. Yeah, I, guess I, I think, no, go for it, Ken. I was just gonna say, what's I guess an even simpler way is like, what I guess is the current uh, dream project that you can talk about? You know, is there, you know, is there, is there 
feature project that you guys are looking to do? Is there like a, a you know, anything along those lines or is it just right now, I guess, Kurt and correct me if I'm wrong, um, you know, or what's the long game? I don't know. You guys have kind of diminished the idea of the long game. And I think a lot of us are kind of thinking through those lenses now with COVID. It's just, we're kind of all in the moment, but is there anything that comes to mind when we, because we ask everybody this, like what's kind of the, you know, I mean, we got, we got into this because we love movies. Like, every, like I think most people did as well. So that's like that's like the end game. We had a, we had a conversation. This guy's been kind of a mentor to us, and is a really good friend. This guy Brian Crano, um, who's a really talented filmmaker and writer in his own right. Um, and uh, you know, we kind of had this conversation about you know what will movies look like after COVID, and what will movies look like going forward, and will people have to sort of let go of this idea that you're going to see a movie in a theater, and like, are people really holding on to that? for like legitimate reason or is it like will the money eventually equalize people start taking chances on stuff again it just won't necessarily be that every single thing is in the theaters and like why does that scare us so much um and i think the conclusion that we kind of made collectively is like it doesn't actually really scare us that much but like people want to be really afraid of that um and i think as time goes on people will be less afraid of it and i think um that's kind of how we feel you know we i think that there's like you know, museum aspirations for us and gallery aspirations for us. I think that there is feature aspirations for us and that there's miniseries aspirations for us, like TV is getting really good. Um, and so I think like all of it is is in play. I, and I don't think that we're not looking at like the long term in terms of like actually like macro picture. I think for us, we just like life is a fucking, you know, what does John Lennon say? Like people plan and God laughs. It's like that's kind of that's kind of the thing. Like we have no idea what's going to happen in a year from now. We know that all these things are things we want and we're kind of actively pursuing all of them in different, you know, I kind of like think of it as like pots on different levels of, of burning on there or not burning or cooking or whatever on the stove or in the oven or whatever. And clearly I'm not a very good chef. And, um, and yeah, I think that like all those things can be, can be done uh, and kind of keeping, keeping an eye on all the things at the same time. Um, and kind of seeing where, where life leads. I don't want to, I don't want to result direct my own life either, you know? Sure. Yeah. Cool. I think no. that there's also like, no, please. No, no, go on. I was just going to say, I think part of kind of like, um, uh, getting to a certain place in your career, I think you have an, you like envision what it is in a more material way, you know, like, um, you know, I think we're really lucky that we get to just like, you know, uh, you know, struggle for a while and like, you know, we're just as broke as could be for a bit, but like, you know, we've gotten to a place where we can sustain ourselves making things for friends that we believe in and that kind of stuff, which is just like, have an infinite amount of gratitude for. Um, and I think kind of getting to that place, there's a lot of sort of like, in, like visualizing what it is that, you, you know, like thinking about things in terms of like a very like material way, you know, and like, I think that once you kind of get to that, <clears throat> a bit of that place, you maybe begin to experience things that, um, are new, you know, that you were only thinking about hypothetically and they've become more like experiential reality. I think the next phase, uh, or thing that I've been thinking about at least as well is kind of like from there kind of then reverting back to that childlike openness, you know, where it's like, in, like instead of being very destination oriented and like trying to establish yourself and get into the space and thinking about ideas of career, I think it's almost then trying to like kind of getting there and getting your footing a little bit and then like unlearning everything and going back to like, you know, when you're a kid and you're just drawing, you're just letting your imagination go wild. You know, things are just kind of coming out of you. It's less about like, you're drawing this thing in pursuit of getting to this place, you know? And I think that that's like a weird thing that maybe not a lot of people kind of gave us heads up about that we're kind of thinking about now. But um, so I think in terms of the big picture, there's like, 
I think kind of like there's like the there's highway driving, you know, where you're looking like 100 yards ahead of you. And then there's like, you know, if you look up at the sky, you're getting into a car accident, look down at, you know, your console to change the station, you know, like it's kind of all about having your, your vision just like a healthy bit forward, but not too far, you know, mm. and you can kind of maintain that pace. Um, yeah. If you can kind of keep in that in that space. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Well, we just got a couple more questions for you. I'd love to ask, you can kind of go either direction with this either like what were some of the films that inspired you growing up like just all-time favorite movies maybe what got you into filmmaking or what are some like recent films that you've seen that you you would recommend okay let's just rattle them off you go first and i'll just keep going back and forth i mean it's hard you know because it's like it's like that, just do it just the, talk the last hour could be like this conversation but I think big films that um, or big things that were like pretty of like seismic influence. Um, I mean, 2001 A Space Odyssey, I think uh, when I was 13, um, I told my family that I wanted to be a filmmaker in like fifth grade or something, you know, and I remember at one point my brother um, brought me into like the room in my house where there's a TV and he was like, all right, if you want to be a filmmaker, watch, like I'm closing the door, don't come out until you've watched it. And he like put it on and locked, closed the door, just left me and watched the movie. And I didn't understand any part of it. I understood what a nothing brother. in the film. Um, yeah, he's, he's <laughs> old Colin, he's a really, he's an absolute legend. But, um, and I've continued to go back to it. And like that, I think that's been one of the most meaningful films. I think it, there's just, it's able to do something that like, uh, yeah, it's able to like translate philosophy and, and like uh, sort of like really macro understanding of like, who we are and where we come, come from and like where we're going into like entertainment, which is like a pretty rare feat. Uh, and honestly, it's just like, a, you know, I think Michael Haneke is pretty cool too, how he like sort of like feels like the real estate that he plays with is outside of just like, you know, treating a viewer just as you're a passive audience member watching this thing. You know, like the, he uses that Z axis between you and the screen as like creative uh, territory to like play with the film and, and kind of, I think that's like really, He's just playing 4D chess in a way that is super inspiring. And uh, even though he's like very dark. Um, and then I think honestly, when I was really, really young, the last person that like a young age I was really inspiring was Wong Kar Wai. I had a friend uh, whose older brother just went to like, there was like a, a DVD rental place. He went to the foreign section and he saw 2046 and thought the, the, the actual DVD sleeve looked really cool. He has like this blonde Chinese woman, this is 2046, he's like, what is this? And um, I think just like the romance in his films and seeing like a different uh, part of the world that like at that age was just such a wild idea. It was so immersive and his films are obviously so poetic and stylish. And I think that he was really inspiring at a young age. And I know those were like three like insanely cliche answers. Now I, now I have to like figure out three. Oh, um, I don't. I did, I just, while you're thinking, I definitely was thought of Wong Kar Wai when I watched you guys' Audi spot. Especially the, like going through the tunnel. Yeah, sure. Cool, man. Dope. Um, yeah, I mean, I love like uh, this is such a funny random movie, but Brick by Ryan Johnson, his first uh, feature, is one of my favorites. Fuck yeah. Um, like the way that he uses dialogue in that movie is so fucking interesting and sells the whole thing. Like anyone that would say like, yeah, we're gonna make a movie about heroin in high school and like everyone's gonna be a detective, like this is gonna be terrible. And like he just like the. It's just like fucking brilliant. I love that film. Um, I love recently that I really loved was Burning, um, which absolutely yeah. fucked, fucked my brain and my heart. Um, I loved Cold War, which also fucked my brain and my heart. Um, I, love, I loved, I loved uh, uh, Touch of Evil, 
which is that Jizen K movie. Mm. It's incredible. Um, Touch of Sin. Touch of Sin? Oh, Touch of Evil is the, or is the, yeah. uh, Touch of Sin, which is incredibly, incredibly good. Um, his whole, I, I got like really into his shit over, over Quarantine Mountains Made Apart. Um, what's the other one that I'm missing? Um, what's the most recent one? Oh, White, uh, Ashes. Oh yeah, Ashes Purest White is yeah. just incredible film. Um, and then, I mean, I love like Kiarostami and Iranian cinema. I think like there's something really cool about playing with what is true and what is fake. You know, obviously Orson Welles did a lot of it, but you know, um, and Makhmobov, like Salam Cinema is this incredible, incredible film about like the audition process for a movie that's like fake and also real um, and sort of plays on like their relationship with Iran and like American Hollywood culture um, and really says a lot about like how much you would you give to be an artist. It, yeah, I had a really amazing professor in NYU named Nalita Bachani, who's an incredible filmmaker. Um, and I didn't love a lot of my professors, but she was amazing. She had a film, she had a class called Documentary Fictions and we watched a lot of Mahmoud Buff and a lot of Kiarostami and kind of what was the line between truth and fiction. And that's like always been something that was really interesting. So that's like not exactly three, but it's, it's something. Oh, it's great. So I, with the last question we always ask, you know, and we, we've talked about some really interesting topics about advice, I guess, already, but I guess if you were, you know, giving advice to someone, you know, and I, I understand we're all still young and everything like that. So, so prefacing with that, but someone who's literally just starting out and trying to do this, you know, what advice would you give them? Don't be precious and make everything you possibly can, period. I think that is a big Simon. Um, man, I hate this question. Um, it's no, tough. I, no, it's not, not that, um, yeah, I think that like, um, don't let anybody, uh, deter you from the things that you are passionate about and in love with and that you want to make, you know, if you really, really love something, something really speaks to you, don't let anybody else, uh, dissuade you from that, you know, like hold really tight onto those things that really are like the reasons why you're setting out to do what you're going to do is it's, you know, it's pretty like, uh, it can be a pretty like intensive journey. You know I mean? And I think you should just make a lot of shit and the less precious that you're about any of the shit, the better you're going to be. The less you get away from opus thinking and putting all the pressure on yourself that the next project is going to get into Sundance and I'm going to fucking get a movie contract and I'm going to be like, that thinking doesn't help anybody. You make the best work when you're relaxed and stressed and stress-free and like you're thinking from a clear place and like just make a lot of things, make a toothpaste commercial, make a dog food commercial, make a fucking film about a rodeo clown, like just do all, just say yes and just make everything and then by that process, you'll be able to figure out more what, what you want to do. And then you can take Simon's advice from there. That's rubber band, you know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. So thanks guys. That's a hell of a way to end it. it. Yeah. Oh, thank you guys. That's rubber oh, band is a way, great way to end it. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for taking the time. Well, I guess yeah, the last question, where, I, I lied, one last round. Where's rubber band, where's it come from? Oh, it doesn't come from anywhere. We were smoking a cigarette our junior year of college and Simon came outside and he looked at me and he was like, yo, should we just go buy a rubber band? And I said, yep. There you have it, guys. That's going to do it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed. And we will hopefully be back soon with some new episodes. We're doing these through Zoom now, which is pretty cool. 
makes things a lot easier on us. So hopefully that means more of these for you. We will see you guys soon.